Hello, folks. Welcome to the Solar Fit Renewable Energy Show. Bill Gallagher back again with you. What an exciting week. We just came off the Daytona 500, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series race uh, that Daniel drove in and the Xfinity race he drove in. And, man, we didn't get home until mid- after midnight both nights. It was just so exciting. Uh, he did a terrific job. Unfortunately, he got collected on a couple of accidents right on the last laps. And that's the way it goes. That's why uh, they call it racing instead of winning. It's, it's, a, it's a tough business, but, man, he... We're so proud of him. He did so well. I want to give a shout-out to our friends at Daytona Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram for their loyal support, particularly for the Race to Stop Suicide, which we're all so very passionate about. And, and you'll see uh, that on the, on the cars every week on the NASCAR track with Daniel bringing that message to the public. Anyway, I've got a very special guest here today. I'm excited to hear all about Mr. Ron Jansen, who is, uh, I guess, now retired Cleveland sports TV anchor. Ron, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome, Bill. It's... Uh... <laughs> It's a pleasure to hear your voice, and I've heard so much about your show, so it's, uh, I'm really excited. Well, you have got a dynamic voice. Have you ever done radio and TV before? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, that was my career. It still is in some ways. I still do uh, radio, basketball, football, uh, baseball, play-by-play, and uh, a little bit of television base- or basketball play-by-play. So, oh, Man, I want to hear all about it. So you're up then. Are you up in Cleveland? I am. I'm in the Cleveland area. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Uh, my my whole broadcasting career has been in uh, the Cleveland market. Do you have your snowmobile suit on? No. You know what? Today, Bill, as I'm looking outside my work window, it is blue skies with puffy white clouds. The temperature is in the high 40s, and the birds are chirping, and you can almost see some buds that are starting to try to peek their way through the bark on the empty branches that uh, you know winter has left us. So. It's a it's a beautiful day in northeastern Ohio. Oh man, you know you bring back some memories, Ron. I grew up in the Adirondacks of upstate New York, and that when the snow cleared, which was typically about July, we broke out the uh, the bicycles. The first time, yeah, everything was soaking wet, raining, but we couldn't wait to get out there on those bicycles. So now I'm down here in Florida, and it's, it's almost beautiful year round. But uh, you guys uh, do any snowmobiling up there? No, you know what? My winter activities include sledding. I'm a big sledder, even as a, you know, as a almost 60-year-old man now, but I still enjoy, you know, getting down the hill with my kids, even though they're in their 20s. And then I really just enjoy hiking in the wintertime, you know, dressing for it, getting out in the, uh, I like to say the wilderness, you know, it's not like I'm going into uh, the Alaskan wilderness or anything, but, you know, just getting lost in the wintertime, so... Yeah, that is some of the nicest times to be out in the woods because it's, it's quiet and there's not a lot of not a lot of foot traffic from pedestrians for sure. Well, That's right. Hey, hey, listen, let's 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 uh let's go back to talk about how you grew up, where you grew up, how you got involved in that business. So I grew up in northeastern Ohio in a very tiny little, you know, town called Grafton, which I had a soybean field in front of me, a cornfield behind me. My dad was a carpenter, my mom a teacher, and sports were a big part of my life growing up uh, because of my parents. And uh, so, you know, I, I learned really early on that I wasn't going to be good enough to play sports, you know, past high school, but I really wanted to be around them. And there were two things that I liked, Bill. I liked sports and I liked to write. So I thought, how can I marry those two, you know, things that I really enjoy doing and making a career? So I went to school and I studied journalism, graduated from Ohio University's very highly recognized and honored Scripps School of Journalism. Uh, with a degree in journalism and uh, with a bend or a target towards sports broadcasting and got a job in Cleveland in 1987, worked in television for 14 years as a sports anchor and a reporter, 
and uh, and then left television to start my family with my wife, but have kept my um, finger in the career, so to speak, by doing freelance work from anything to local high school on a local radio station all the way to uh, producing pieces on the Cavaliers and LeBron James for NBA Entertainment, um, So and everything in between. It's been a really nice uh, time for me as a uh, as a sports reporter over the years. You know, it's awful, often uh, not baffled and impressed me what it takes to do your, what you do. You know, our friends Jeff Striegel and Alex Hayden with the NASCAR, uh, you have to know everything about the drivers to be able to talk about their positions and what's going on. And, and you're, you, you have 15 different sports you're covering. How do you, how do you remember all that? Well, you know, there's a, I call it the magical mix. And, and I, I, and I'm, it's not like I invented this. I, maybe I learned it from somebody else, but in my mind, I, I think I invented it. I'm sure I didn't. But there are five key things, and I think if you talk to your fellow broadcasting friends, they would say the same thing. And I would make the argument that you could use these five key things for anything in life that you know puts you in a position to be successful, whether it's preparing to broadcast a NASCAR race or a Super Bowl or the little local high school game that means nothing to anybody other than moms, dads, and grandparents. And everything starts with preparation. If you prepare, you gain knowledge. And if you have knowledge, you are confident. And if you are confident, you'll be comfortable. And when you're comfortable, you can perform. And for a broadcaster, like your buddies like you, or your friends in NASCAR that do the races and talk to the drivers and the mechanics and the owners, it all starts with preparation about that team, about that driver. It leads to the knowledge of everything that you need to know to be confident, to ask good questions, to feel comfortable in front of those drivers or those owners or the guys and girls in the pits. And then when it's time to broadcast the race or speak on a podcast like you are or interview someone of note, you have the ability to perform. So preparation, knowledge, confidence, comfortable, perform. Just kind of all flows. I've got them all written down, Ron. I'm ready to go. <laughs> right. I mean, even if, if think about when you were a young guy and you were at a club and you're going to go ask the girl across the dance floor to dance. You know, I mean, you, you need all of those things. You need the preparation to know what her name is. You need the knowledge to, you know, uh, of something. I mean, you, you can relate it down to the very fundamental thing of asking a girl out or interviewing the president of the United States and everything in between. <laughs> well, I wish you'd use a different uh, a different example because I, I wasn't very good at asking women help. <laughs> well, nobody was. So, you know. I guess you get better the, the over time, right? To be is, yeah, the toughest thing to be is the uh, – is the uh, is the boy that has to ask the girl out, right? Oh, gee, well, my dancing skills are—they need a lot of work. Let me put it that way. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, again, getting back to the to the the memory part of it, that that has to be a big part. Now, you've got kids that are coming along, or adults that are coming along through these sports, and as they come in, there no one knows a lot about them. How do you how do you prepare yourself for Jimmy? Thompson, as he comes in to play basketball, when you don't know anything about him, is it just watching him? Well, I make phone calls and I and I go to practices and I uh, uh, tonight I'm doing a high school girls basketball game in a tiny little farming community called Firelands, and it's a Division Five game, which in the state of Ohio is one division from the smallest school division. And so I prepare for that just like I would if I was doing the NBA championship. And, you know, I talk to the coaches, 
Um, I talk to them about, you know, who they are, what their background is, uh, what their signature is. I, I talk to them about all of their players and, you know, who this player is, what does this player do for the team, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses. And I talk to both coaches like that. I dig into the history of the programs. I dig into the history of the successes or the failures or the conference championships that they've won. So in any situation, just like you were mentioning your buddies who do the NASCAR races and have all those drivers out there, no matter what the situation that presents itself during a broadcast, you feel comfortable and prepared to talk about it. So it, it takes homework. It's hard work. you got to put in the time. And I really believe, you know, just like you during your – doing your podcast it takes you doing homework you putting in the time to prepare to interview your subjects and 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 the topics that you want to go and the direction and and i that's how i i prepare i work hard i mean i just do well that is incredible so i i have done a little bit of my homework uh on this i want you to talk about w-o-u-b w-o-u-b so i went to school at ohio university uh ew script school of journalism and WOUB is the PBS station, the public broadcast uh, station in Athens, Ohio. And it is also student-run, not completely student-run, like the, the general manager of WOUB isn't a student. It's a, you know, an adult who has a, a career in doing that. But all of, the, all of the people that do the on-air work, all of the people that do the behind-the-scenes work are all students. And when I was a student there um, at Ohio University, I was a part of – you know, some, some really neat things at WOUB. Have you ever been in Athens, Ohio, tiny little Athens, where Ohio University is? No, I have not. Well, you know, I, I think that that could be like a cradle of NASCAR bootleg drivers, you know, in the southeastern part of the state of Ohio back in the day. I am sure there is some bootleg in history there, of uh, right? Because that's where the NASCAR drivers came from, right? Oh, yeah. Yep, the Carolinas yeah. and uh, well, the Midwest is yeah. really a hot spot for every type of racing. You know, Bill, just to share a quick funny story, this past summer I was uh, camping, tent camping in the Great Smoky Mountains in uh, in Tennessee with my son. And uh, we were leaving Tennessee to go to South Carolina, and we came across a, uh, a whiskey joint uh, where they distill whiskey in Hartford, Tennessee. And it's called uh, Bootlegger's Distillery. And 16 generations uh, a family-owned distillery. And the guy who owns it now is a young guy in his late 20s. And he told me all the way back, that that some of his relatives were NASCAR drivers, and they got their start as a driver because they were running whiskey as a bootlegger, and uh, it was just a fascinating story. And uh, you know, and uh, he 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 gave us some whiskey right out of the still. It was like I don't know, hundred proof or oh, something God. crazy like that. I put a, I put a bit of it on my on my uh, fingertip and touched it to my tongue, and that's about all I did with it. But <laughs> it'll burn <laughs> it a hole in your strong tongue. Strong stuff. <laughs> do, you, do you ever see the movie Thunder Road? You know what? I know. I don't know if I've seen that movie. I love the song by Bruce Springsteen, Thunder Road, but I don't know that I've ever seen the movie. Well, you need to watch this movie, and everybody listening in today, it's uh, Robert Mitchum is in it, and it was 19, I'm going to say, back in the late, late 50, 59, something like that, but it is the best movie. I've seen it like seven times. I'm addicted to it. Just the black and white, and the, the guys running moonshine in the 1944s and stuff, and you're right. That's where... That's where that's where NASCAR really originated. It was back in the back in the hills, and they're still doing it today. Bill, you know what? When you said Robert Mitchum, that is the inspiration for Springsteen's song, that movie. Because yeah. I, I, I read about this song because it's one of my favorite songs, and he said that he was in like a, 
a hotel on a drive out west, him and his buddies just in a side road hotel. And he and on the local cable, he watched an old black and white by Robert Mitchum that was called Thunder Road. And it was the inspiration for the title of that song. <laughs> when you said Mitchum, that, that, that brought triggered back in my memory uh, Springsteen's research on that song. The bingo. There it is. I think we got to go to Netflix to find these things, folks. I mean, I, I just love those. I don't know, Ron, about you, but the older movies like that are just so entertaining. Uh, seems like these days things have... They tell you when to laugh. Okay, time to laugh. I don't. I don't. I don't like that. What do you think? Yeah, I don't like to be told when to laugh. <laughs> you know, we laugh. You just made me laugh, and you didn't have to tell me. I think we're getting somewhere. <laughs> you know, Bill. Let me ask you a question. Because sure. in Cleveland, in my days of covering sports, the IndyCar circuit worked its way through Cleveland, and we had the Cleveland Grand Prix at Burke Lakefront Airport. It's a small airport, literally on on the on the coast of Lake Erie in, in Cleveland, and we had IndyCar drivers that came through. The relationship between NASCAR and IndyCar, driver-wise, is it good? Is it contentious? Are they friends? Are they enemies? What's the background and history there? Well, you know, it's funny you'd ask that. There are some drivers that are crossover drivers, like Mario Andretti could drive just about anything, um, but they are separate uh, disciplines. You know, you've got open wheel racing which oh, for are sure separate disciplines yeah. yeah people aren't people aren't really comfortable with that by and large from the nascar thing although there are people that are really good at it but yeah i mean i i love indycar racing anything like that you you must have really enjoyed that well you know it's 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 funny that you mentioned mario andretti because that was one of my uh, and it still is one of my my great moments in in covering the indycar circuit in cleveland is andretti was still driving and andretti at the time was still relevant um, and his, his son was coming up, too. And and Mario, you know, here's, I mean, think of a sport. Uh, in the South, think of college football, you think of Nick Saban, icon, right? In basketball, currently, think of LeBron James, icon. Back in the day when I covered the NBA, it was Michael Jordan. But in, in IndyCar, in that time period, it was Mario Andretti. And Andretti used to drive at the Cleveland Grand Prix. He was a driver. And he would ride around in this little scooter. Um, you know, in the pit area, you know, you're down in the pits you know, as the week leads up to the race and they're doing time trials and they're fixing stuff and blah, blah, blah. Well, Mario would ride around in his, you know, in his, in his driver's suit, in his fireproof suit with those, with those comfortable shoes on. And he would be in this little scooter just riding around, doing his thing, checking with his mechanics, talking to owners, doing glad handing with sponsors, stuff like that. And he was just a normal guy. I really enjoyed talking to him, interviewed him a couple of times. And I actually have a picture hanging on my wall in, in one of my rooms uh, in my home that somebody took of me interviewing Mario Andretti. And um, we were both a lot younger then. But um, it's uh, I enjoyed covering IndyCar. Emerson Fittipaldi was, was huge in Cleveland at the time. Um, and he came from, if I remember correctly, he came from Formula One. Um, Correct. Fittipaldi did. So he was a crossover driver as well. Yeah, it's just it's amazing. Uh, Ari Leyendike, back in the day, he's, he was quite the driver. In fact, a, a friend of mine actually built the engine for Ari Leyendike, a fellow right here in town. So, yeah, you know what? Hey, Ron, we're going to hold on, folks. We're going to take a short break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi folks, Bill Gallagher with SolarFit here. Have you ever thought about utilizing solar power for your home or business? Well, there's never been a better time to plug into the sun and stop renting electricity. How would you like to let your roof start paying you each month? 
Give us a call at 445-7606. That's 445-7606. Or visit us at SolarFit.com and set yourself free. SolarFit your life and set yourself free with the sun's free energy. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Solar Fit Renewable Energy Show. Bill Gallagher. I'm speaking with my friend Ron Jantz, the former Cleveland Sports TV anchor. Hey, Ron, if, you know, if you don't mind, since we started talking about the old days, can we stay there just a little bit? Can you talk about football and basketball and stuff back in the 90s? Sure. What you want to talk about, why don't we talk about, since you were in Florida and I am in Ohio, and if we want to stay, you know, back in time, so to speak, let's talk about baseball major league baseball the world series of both 1995 and 1997 and the reason i bring those up is because i'm in ohio and the cleveland indians played in both of those world series i covered those games as a television sports reporter at the nbc affiliate in cleveland and they were against in 95 the atlanta braves which i'm sure in your listening audience you have a lot of braves fans because you know that's a hotbed of of Braves fans in, in the South. And then the 97 series, the Indians played against the Florida Marlins. And I am certain that you have Florida Marlins fans in your, you know, your listening audience down there too. So those were two very good world series for different reasons. Indians lost both. One was completely heartbreaking. Uh, the 97 series. Do you remember, are you a baseball fan? Do you remember the Miami Marlins oh, in yeah. the 1997 series? Yep, I sure do. Yeah, that you know that went seven games. Um, it went extra innings in the seventh game. And the, the series for game seven was back in Miami. It was in Florida. Uh, they were in, Cleveland's, in Cleveland for games three, four, and five. Miami game one and two, and then back in Miami for f- uh, six and seven. And so I'm covering the game for the NBC affiliate in Cleveland. The Indians are leading, actually, going into the final inning, and they end up losing in extra innings. And so as a reporter, you, you, if you're covering baseball, you need to get down to the locker room after the game is over um, to interview the players. And you leave your area in the press box before the game is over because you literally have to walk down the stairs or the, the um, elevator with the fans. So you don't want to do that because you'll never get to the locker room in time if you leave the same time the fans are leaving the game. So you go, like, say, the inning before the game's over. So uh, me and the rest of the reporters, it's a memory that will never leave my mind. It is imprinted. We're outside the Indians' locker room in the bowels of uh, Pro Player Stadium there in Miami, and uh, the Indians had had the lead going into the uh, you know the the end of the game. Major League Baseball had already in the locker room put up the Bisqueen over the lockers, had a big ice uh, cart with uh, champagne bottles in there, had the World Series trophy. The, the entire setup was already inside the Indians' locker room clubhouse. We weren't in the clubhouse, but they had that all set up. We're outside the clubhouse when the Indians lost. We watched as reporters, and me specifically, a Cleveland kid, a Northeastern Ohio kid who loves baseball, watch Major League Baseball tear down all the Visqueen, wheel the ice and the champagne and the World Series trophy out of the Indians' locker room clubhouse into the, into the, into the area in the stadium bowels where we were right past us and into the Miami or the Florida Marlins locker room clubhouse. It was awful. Bill, from a perspective of a, of a Cleveland kid, it's like you growing up a huge NASCAR fan and your favorite driver is, is, is finally going to win the Daytona 500. And you are, you know, in the pits waiting for, you know, that victory lap and, you know, the celebration and then something happens. 
and and you and you and you watch it all unravel. And it just it, you know if I could make a correlation, it would be that. Oh, For God. me, it was awful. That is yeah. terrible. Well, what was the score when you headed to the to the locker room? Well, the Indians were up a run. One and, run. You yeah. know, they ended up losing three to two in eleven innings. And you know they they went into the ninth inning uh, up a run, uh, uh, two to one. The Marlins tied it in the bottom of the ninth to take it to extra innings, and the Indians lost it in the eleventh. In the bottom of the eleventh, three to two. So we were there, you know, like in the ninth inning. Uh, at the start of the ninth inning, we went down and we were outside the clubhouse, you know, waiting. And then we watched on the TV monitors there in the in the bowels. Of, like I said, literally the bowels of Pro Player Stadium. And uh, you watch on the monitor, and boom, the Marlins score, run to tie it, and they lose it two innings later. The Indians do. Um, so it was like you know, it was like making you watch something that you didn't want to watch. Like <laughs> you know, here, here's a correlation to that. It's it's almost the same thing. And here's a question first: How do you control your emotion if you're an announcer and you want a certain uh, team to win? Do you kind of go toward that, or do you kind of stay right in the middle and not show your emotion? Well, it's a great question, Bill, and it's a question that I think I'm disappointed to say a lot of broadcasters um, don't follow. You you have to play it down the middle. You have to play it right down the middle. There is no emotion allowed in the press box, for example. You know, you're not cheering while you're in the press box. You are an impartial observer who is supposed to be fair and balanced in your reporting. And that's the way I always played it. Now, deep inside, I'm dying. You know what I mean? Dying inside. But, you you know, it's like playing poker in Vegas. You never want to show your hands. You don't want to let them see you sweat. Um, you know, try to be unreadable. Jeez. You know, to, to show you that correlation, uh, one of the NASCAR races that won at the 500 several years ago, Dale Jarrett and Dale Earnhardt were racing side-by-side side for the win. And his father, uh, Ned Jarrett, was one of the announcers. And when he came around the last lap, Ned Jarrett goes, Go, Dale! Go, Dale! You can beat him! It was the funniest thing you've ever seen. And, but every, <laughs> and Dale Jarrett won the race. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, no one blamed him because that Ned... That is a great story. And, you know, that would be impossible, right? As a, <laughs> as a, you know, as a... Well, let me just make a quick, you know, anecdotal uh, reference much, much lower level. It wasn't, you know, a great NASCAR race. It was a local high school game. When I was first starting out, I'm doing the play-by-play, and I had my dad join me as the color analyst because it was a local team that he used to play for, and my, my, my brother was playing on his son. And my dad, in the middle of the broadcast, got angry about an official's call and said on air, that's BS, oh. but he didn't say BS. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> So that was the last time I had my dad on the broadcast. But that's a, that's a great example of your example about, you know, coming around the final turn, go Dale, go Dale. You know, sometimes it's hard to separate that, you know, that emotion from the professionalism and the level that you're supposed to be at. Yeah, for sure. So on the, on the duties that you're doing now, which is, is very impressive, how do, do people reach out to you and ask you to to be the announcer? I mean, how do you get all these uh, these side uh, gigs going on? Relationships, right, yeah, Bill? Yeah. Everything's about relationships. I, I say that to my own children. Uh, build relationships in your life. Um, be nice to people. Be responsible. Be trustworthy. Be a person somebody can count on. And, and, and just, you know, as you work through life in different situations, you meet Bill Gallagher. Yeah. You and Bill become friendly. Uh, 
Bill somewhere down the line needs something that maybe you could do for him or vice versa. And and he looks back and he says, you know what, I like that Ron guy. He was good. He, he, he was responsible or, you know, flip it, you know, I'm thinking of you. So all of my jobs have come through relationships over the years, just building relationships, you know, being, again, reliable, responsible, something, someone that they can count on you. And, uh, you know, then you have to be decent at what you do. I, I always, you know, tell my children, I believe in luck. You know, I, I truly believe in luck in life. But I also believe once luck finds you, you have to be prepared to take advantage of it. And if you're not prepared to take advantage of opportunities that luck may bring your way, then, you know, nothing will happen with it. So, you know, relationships are fantastic. They're paramount. But when they lead to an opportunity, you have to be ready and good enough and prepared enough uh, to take advantage of it. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how it works for me. No, it really does. And I've always been a believer that, that luck actually comes to people that are optimistic. Yeah, you, you, you can wait. Just as I think about this every now and then, you wake up in the morning, you get your choice to be anything you want to be. You can be miserable or you can be happy, right? That's your choice. What do you, what do you wake right. up, Ron? I know you wake up happy. I can tell by your voice. Most days. <laughs> <laughs> Except for that day, right? <laughs> you know, the only days I don't wake up happy, is, and we'll just bring in somebody who you've already had on your show. You had uh, Nancy on your show. She was on your podcast a, a while back. Right. Nancy was my personal trainer here in Ohio. That's how you and I have met, through Nancy. So after Nancy put me through a brutal workout, many days the next morning, I did not wake up happy. <laughs> well, she's, a, she's an incredible gal, I'll tell you. She, uh, and she, you can just tell how, uh, I don't know, what, sincere, devoted, whatever it is to her craft that she is. She's just dead serious when she talks about uh, tra- uh, conditioning and training. I, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the interview, but, man, she did such a great job of educating us all. Right. Yep. She's committed. And you want people like that in your life, right? Yep. I mean, you want committed people in your life. I want committed people in my life. Um, you want to surround yourself with people that challenge you, uh, the people surround yourself with people who inspire you. Um, and, you know, that's that's a great way to go through life. Right. Connecting to folks like that. Well, I think it is. And it, it, it may take you a while to even realize what's happening. But the the more. The, the kinder you are to people, it, it attracts people that are kind. And it's really, you're just like, you're just like you say, Ron, it's a, life can be amazing if, if you're amazing with it. It's so easy to be nice. It's so hard to be ornery and angry and mad and mean. Man, be nice. Yeah. Choose nice every day. You know, if you're, if you're not angry and mean and, and ornery, you really have to practice to, to, to get to that point. You know, you got to wake up and say, today I'm going to be a angry and mean. I, I, I don't know. That's not working for me. Yeah. The only time I'm that way if I haven't eaten. Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. Well, that was part of the conversation with Nancy. And she, she, she was so good with the answers. I said, what should you be eating in the morning? And she goes, well, you have to listen to your body. And I, I go, well, there's, there's, my stomach is growling. <laughs> what am I supposed to eat, you know? Oh, so that 100 proof whiskey from bootleggers in uh, Tennessee isn't good to have in the morning, probably. Yeah. I I think anything after seven in the evening you could consider, but that is not a morning drink for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a friend of mine. This is just a short story. But a friend of mine lived in South Carolina, and somebody had given him some of this. Uh, I guess you call it white lightning. 
So he said, do you want some? And I said, I don't really, I'm not really. He goes, let me give you some. He gives me a plastic container of this white lightning. So I take it home, and I put it up over the sink. And the next day I walked down, and all the liquid had eaten through the plastic and run down the side <laughs> of the wall. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. This can't be good for you. you know? It cannot be good for my stomach. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> we're on. Man, we're almost out of time here. I really, really appreciate you taking time today to do this. Are you working tonight? I am. I'm doing a. Uh, I have a high school basketball game tonight, a tournament game, and uh, I have a, a conference championship game on Friday night, and then on Saturday, I'm really excited. I've got a college uh, conference championship game. I do the Case Western Reserve University games, and uh, it's a it's a uh, it's a school in Cleveland, and they're playing Carnegie Mellon, which is a school in Pittsburgh for the University Athletic Association Championship, winner takes all. And uh, so it's an exciting weekend for me of broadcasting. I'm really, really ready for it. Man, you're the busiest guy I know, Ron. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking time to uh, to join us today. Folks, we're going to have to sign off for now. Please follow uh, Daniel Dye and his race career and the race to stop suicide. And uh, a special thanks to Mr. Ron Chance for coming with us today. Ron, thanks so much. Bill, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a great day in Florida. Okay, stay warm up there, man. I will. Okay, folks, we're going to sign off. Talk to you next week. SolarFit Renewable Energy Radio Show paid for by SolarFit.